Assalamu alaikum and welcome to another episode of Share Diversity, the Muslim businesswoman podcast where we share the diversities of Muslims in the media. Before you jump into this episode, make sure you are subscribed to the podcast, you review us on iTunes and inshallah follow us on Instagram, Twitter and YouTube where we share more insights into business, branding and womanhood. Today I talked with Afa Farooq, the co-founder of Muslimic Makers about what it takes to make it in tech as a leader or entrepreneur, growing a career in business without compromising your values, and how you can create a community built on trust and service. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. We especially touched on personal branding as a woman of color and what it really takes to build something for yourself that you can be proud of and 100% stand behind. So inshallah, let's get straight into it. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam. Thank you so much for coming. And for those who haven't heard of you, could you just give a sum up and introduce yourself in 30 seconds? Sure. Uh, my name is Arthur Farouk. I'm the co-founder of Muslimic Makers, which is a Muslims in tech community. I did a bit of marketing consultancy, etc. as well. I also did a fellowship exploring Muslim women in tech in America, Pakistan. And you've been working a lot with people that do a lot in tech, entrepreneurs in tech, people that set up their own things. Why did you choose tech in the first place? Yeah, I think so. It came from my own personal journey. I mean, I accidentally ended up in the technology world aged, I think I was 21, 22, accidentally um, founded a startup that spun out of a youth charity I was part of. Um, so I ended up in this tech accelerator which all of a sudden exposed me to like the technology world. And I guess I became very hyper aware of my differences. You know, I not only was I one of the youngest people, person there, but I was also a woman. I was also Muslim. And, it, you know, anytime I'd walk into rooms and events and stuff, I'd be like, oh, okay, it's just me, right? That's the person of difference. Um, so then I, I kind of guess I was feeling the lack of role models, And as the years kind of went on, me and a friend decided to set up the community Muslimic Makers because he also worked in tech. He, he's a UX designer. And, you know, at that time I was working for a coding bootcamp doing marketing. And we were like, okay, well, we do know that there's people like us that exist, but how do we connect the dots and how do we bring them in a room together to actually support each other, to showcase the role models and to amplify our voices? Um, so that's kind of how, why, why tech. Um, and simply because also it is, it is a growing industry. And so it, representation is extremely important, especially in, in tech, because tech is everything now. How do you kind of define representation? Oh, um, I think representation to be for me is, I guess, having not just a seat on the table, but also having a voice as well at the table. And I guess in terms of like what needs to be represented, it can be everything from gender, religion, ethnicity, faith, disability, etc., etc. So for me, like all those kind of elements, it's 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 kind of the the different parts of you that make you you, and this kind of part of you if that makes sense but you know it's not just it, it makes no sense to just have somebody there in the room or, or on the table it's actually mm -hmm. they need to be able to participate in it as well because that is what I see a lot in terms of you know companies talking about diversity and inclusion and just putting yeah. you know people of color on the poster and maybe yeah. a woman in hijab or whatever and that is kind of their definition but if you go to yeah. their events uh, you're like the only Muslim woman there or at least the only Muslim there and there's about yeah. you know 50 to 100 people and it's just like why 
I don't see that inclusion and diversity yeah. that you are representing in that terms represented on the ground. Mm. Where do you think tech companies should go from mm -hmm. now on and more more in depth because everyone asks that what can we do to be represented or represent ourselves in that matter and not be dependent on companies doing it for us okay so i think one of the first things i always say mm. is to be unapologetically like yeah. muslim or like whatever kind of you know person you are right i think that's actually the first thing i think often in the workplace we tend to shy away from from certain things um a story that I often tell um is when I started one of my first proper jobs which was at Makers Academy a 12-week coding boot camp um one of the first things I did so I kind of made this intention to myself that I was like right you know what I'm starting this day job I really want to keep up with my prayers I really want to not have any excuses etc so when I joined Makers Academy the first thing I did was I turned up with the prayer mat nice. now at that point in time <laughs> Now, at that point in time, it was a very small, it was a very small office yeah. and we didn't really have space. It was a really tiny staff room. Mm -hmm. Everyone popped out for lunch. That day I just popped, you know, I literally, as I say, I busted out my prayer mat and I read my Zohar Namaz and somebody obviously walked in and kind of saw me. Didn't say anything then. However, at the staff meeting, it was brought up in a good way. It was more like, mm -hmm. hey, I noticed you were praying. Is this something we can do to accommodate you? Mm -hmm. So for me, I was shy to actually have mm -hmm. that discussion, but I wasn't shy to just do the action, if that makes sense. So, because I didn't want to be an inconvenience, right? Because for me, it was like, there's no space here. They have one meeting room, there's a staff room. Mm. Like for me, I felt like I'd be an inconvenience just asking, right? So for me, I was like, all right, cool. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to pray wherever I need to pray. That's kind of was my way of kind of dealing with it. Um, and then uh, obviously that you know they kind of had that open discussion and to be honest again I was a bit like no I'm okay I'm fine I can just pray like you know in the staff room we're good with that three months later we moved to a new building uh three floors much more bigger um again I found a corner um the staff room was on the mezzanine so again I found a little corner which worked well for me then as we kind of went along and this was quite kind of something where I made them quite aware because you know Every three months, we have mm -hmm. a new batch of students starting. And sometimes in those batch of students were Muslim students. Thankfully, because I was there, the Muslim students would come to me directly and be like, hey, is there anywhere I can pray? And then I'd show them a little corner and they would pray in the corner. As the building and stuff got developed, I think recently, um, I mean, I've left the place now, but they, they acquired another floor. They actually created a well, a well-being corner slash prayer section specifically. And for me, that was like mm. now, like any time I go back and I look at it, like for me, I feel like that was my personal win because here was a company that literally had no idea that like, you know, Muslims, like actually this was like a specific need and a specific need for the demographic in terms of students, stuff they were attracting. And by the time I had left, they had really had catered for it. And for me, that was the biggest thing because it was important that, yes, okay, like me as like the Muslim that was leaving the company, and yes, there might not be another Muslim there mm. or maybe there's a Muslim there that's joined now. For me, it was leaving that legacy behind, right? And like, so sometimes what I say to people, like some people say, mm. oh, you know, the onus shouldn't be on you, right? The onus mm. shouldn't be on you to educate the company. It's tiring. It is tiring to educate the company, tell them about Ramadan, etc., etc. Yeah. However, my other argument is, if not you, then who? So if you are the first person in your workplace, yeah. it is your duty for the, for your brothers and sisters that will follow 
to just make it easier for them because somebody's got to take it somebody's got to take it like if I didn't do what I did um you know I'm sure like along the line they would have obviously learned themselves through their own experiences yeah but I like to think that I somehow did make it a bit more easier for the people that followed um so that's kind of what I say to people that actually like like and I guess two companies specifically one don't wait around waiting for that person of difference to come along Two, you need to be educated yourself and you need to understand the different needs, etc. And then, um, you know, one of the things we often say is actually like it's best to just um, openly, um, you know, ask, ask at the interview stages, ask, at, you know, are there any needs? Are there anything that we can do for you? Mm-hmm. Because sometimes like it's just as simple as just asking and asking shows that care. So if you just ask a person what their needs are and, you know, what kind of requirements, et cetera, they'll do, it makes mm-hmm. it easier because as somebody who's new, you don't want to sit there and be demanding, right? So just like me, I didn't want to, I didn't want to be like, mm-hmm. hey, I need this, hey, I need that. But if somebody just asked me, it's just, I can simply answer. So that's kind of one of the things I often say is just like, for me, I think it's, it's it goes both ways. If you are, if nobody has asked you, mm-hmm. then just be unapologetically Muslim and like teach your ways if you know but if you're mm-hmm. a company then ask ask what they need ask ask their requirements and you know yeah. that will be the best way of just kind of kind of going about it and um you know recently we um Taz who's one of the events coordinator um, we we, co- we did this talk uh, well she did the talk actually at Tech Inclusion but I kind of helped helped her with it and she she just she she mentioned some really really interesting um points and um you know like for example like in these tech companies you have things like yoga and meditation there's like a massive like amplification on that but like prayer for us is our version of yoga and meditation right Mm -hmm. so sometimes if you just use their language on them and be like hey so you know how you need to do that meditation thing like halfway through the day yeah well I kind of need to do do this prayer thing that's like my version (laughs) that's very true because people don't see the meaning of prayer in that sense they just think okay that's something religious they have to do all day long exactly exactly (laughs) so it's a really good way to speak in terms of the other person I think that is something that we can apply into a lot of areas in our lives and when we make business Mm -hmm. when we do collaborations is speaking in terms of the other person you know also yeah this is what I do to you know create more mindfulness in myself and this is something that yeah. cools me down and obviously I can perform better then so you, yeah. you speak in the in a way that the other person knows okay this is something exactly. that is good for the for the totality of people here and so I wanted to ask a bit about what you said about representation taking ownership yourselves how do you establish this confidence in yourself that goes away from you know victimizing yourself as a minority and someone that has and is struggling a lot in the business especially in tech I think for me yeah so I'm also well first and foremost I'm obviously quite aware I'm not visibly Muslim right so I don't wear a hijab so I understand that 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 can be quite different so people could kind of could often ask me well how can you be because you're not visibly but actually I am in terms of the language I use right I'll use my alhamdulillahs and my inshallahs even if I am with non-muslim colleagues etc it's just kind of part of my nature you know i'll pray when i need to pray because that's kind of part of my nature it's part of my dna and i think where that confidence kind of comes from really is i think first and foremost it's confidence within yourself and your identity and who you are right Mm -hmm. so in terms of i know the type of person i am i know i'm you know good at my job good at my work etc and all these other elements are just as important right 
so for me it's a kind of like installing that it's that's kind of where I get my confidence from it's just the fact that I know that like I'm doing a good job with whatever it is that I'm working on Mm -hmm. and I'll do an even better job if I can establish the Muslimness in me right Mm. I know if I say alhamdulillah and I'm grateful over every little thing I do, I only know that God will bless me with more. Mm. So like that shukr and like that gratefulness, again, is kind of that key part of, I guess, having that positive mentality because in a sense our faith teaches us that, you know, after every salah we're saying alhamdulillah, after every little thing we say alhamdulillah and stuff. Mm. So, you know, we keep going back to, I guess, God because with every little thing we do, the good or the bad, etc., that comes our way, comes from God and there's always wisdom behind it. So I think for me, it's kind of establishing those roots and kind of understanding, okay, why do I do what I do? Why has God put me on this earth? And then using that to, yeah, using that as kind of my tool to actually unapologetically be Muslim and be grateful and be able to be like, okay, no, I need to, you know, I need to take five minutes out and go and pray because I need to be grateful to my Lord because my Lord has put me here, has put me in this job or whatever it is I'm doing. Mm. So I need to go do that because in any moment that could be also taken away from me. Mm. So just kind of, I think, have going back to those reasonings of why we do what we do mm-hmm. helps me ground myself. And how do you tackle situations, especially in tech, when you, for example, want to collaborate with someone and then you're like, mm, you know, I like the project, but maybe the values of that person don't really fit to my values or to the values of my brand, do you then like totally scratch that out? Would you talk to that person personally and let the brand, you know, in the background? Or do you literally just like stand, like put your standards high and really look for people to collaborate with that are on the level that you are or want to go to in terms of values and the things that you don't want to compromise on? Yeah, so that's a really, really interesting question. Um, so I, I actually just currently left my last job. But in my last job, um, you know, the company was um, set up by this um, guy called Davood, who was a reaver. And, you know, the company is not a Muslim company, but they set the values of where they don't work with tobacco, alcohol or gambling, mm-hmm. right? So that was quite a nice thing to do, knowing that regardless of any clients. Now, we had one scenario. Um, we had actually one scenario where we had a, a company that, um, sells things like Botox and fillers mm-hmm. come in and we were kind of like on this weird fence we're like okay like you know they were looking to create a tech platform to kind of help sell the services in a way where actually it's much more better because it'll be all kind of you know it'll only be the the dentists and the doctors etc so you know you wouldn't be going to it so it's like okay in one way it's solving a problem Mm -hmm. so rather than actually people going away and getting dodgy fillers done they can make sure they're going through a vetted platform so we're like okay so there's definitely some really good but then there was a part of us that was a bit like it really challenged us because we're like okay what kind of messaging is it giving in terms of all this stuff and I remember as a company, we were kind of having these discussions about, you know, should, should, should this be a piece of work we take, etc. I think deep down inside, I didn't feel comfortable with it. Founders didn't feel comfortable with it. Some people were okay with it. And I think ultimately what it kind of came down to and how we actually told them, we were truthful to them. We just said to them, we don't think our values align. And you know what? People really respect that. Mm really respect that that you know sometimes if you actually just turn around and try and make an excuse people will be like oh no etc 
likewise, I had I was in a personal situation with my own personal brand where I wanted to collaborate. Um, you know, I was looking to collaborate with somebody, and I even took part in the test run. But then the more I kind of thought about it, I realized them on their own. I really respected them in terms of what they were doing, but it didn't align with my kind of Muslimness. Mm-hmm. You know, so I kind of was just like, I actually had to be like, you know what? I'm really sorry, but I've thought about it, and I actually can't put my name to this because I don't feel comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. And one of the people was just like, you know, look, I'm I'm disappointed, but fair enough, like I understand. Mm-hmm. And I think again, being honest was a better way rather than me making excuses like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't make it. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm busy, and trying to avoid them. I just kind of dealt with it head on and just said, look, this is where I stand. This is why I don't feel comfortable. And then they're like, okay, fair enough. You know yourself. You know your values. And if you don't think we align, it's better for both of us not to work together on this. Mm-hmm. And you can still then maintain that relationship with them regardless. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of how I've kind of dealt with those type of situations. It's just being honest. And it's not easy. Like I do do recognize that it's not easy because you don't want it to be awkward. And yes, it might be awkward. It is awkward in the beginning. Mm -hmm. But trust me, in the long run, it always works out for the best. Yes, because what you're saying is not easy, especially when you're starting to get into tech. Mm. Or if you you want to get into tech because the tech startup world is very like yeah. well connected and it's a lot about you know who knows who and who wants mm. to you know get into that job because it's it's very um dynamic in that way that it's yeah. very personal how would you say advise someone who wants to start and action steps to get into tech okay so um one of the first things i kind of suggest is one thing is to realize that tech isn't just doesn't mean coding right mm-hmm. I think often people associate tech with coding and that side of things. Tech is everything. I'm a non-technical person who happens to have a massive passion in tech. So, you know, it's kind of recognizing, one, what your skill set is, and then, two, like, where you want to apply it. So, yes, if you are somebody who wants to go into coding but you don't know how to code, then look into things like Makers Academy, coding boot camps, Code Academy, all that stuff, right, Mm -hmm. to start kind of, upping your skills on that things now if you're a marketing person like me your marketing skills can be used in tech companies to sell their products right Mm -hmm. so then it's just as simple as just applying or just trying to kind of be like okay cool or if you're looking to set up your own business then you know then it might be then it kind of varies say if you're an ideas person but you, you don't have a proof of concept built yet a lot of founders and I find this a lot with my work with design because people will come to me and be like oh I have this amazing idea but I need somebody to, to build the idea for me and I'm like okay right first of all <laughs> there's a gazillion ideas out there mm. the idea that you've told me I've heard before or I know somebody who's already done something like that I, I always like I always call myself like the startup killer like I feel really bad sometimes because people come to me with stuff and I just kind of give them the harsh reality right Mm. but I think they do appreciate it and so one of the things I would say is okay fair enough if somebody else is doing it that that's not a reason for you not to do it it's about who does it better right Mm. and and it's always about execution so if you're sitting there on an idea but you're, you're not doing anything with it because you can't build the website you can't do the thing or you can't find the right person to, to do it. What I say to people is sometimes people like overcomplicate things. Sometimes you can simply prove a concept by, you know, d- doing some designs, putting it up, putting on a UX app or, you know, building something on Squarespace to prove a concept or even just simply building a landing page and showing that there's demand for it by by promoting it and collecting email addresses. Sometimes those are the littlest things you need to prove that you've got a concept or an idea that works Mm -hmm. so people 
don't do even do that. They're just like, oh, I have this idea, I have this idea, I need someone to come and do all the work. But then it's like, well, why is the other person going to build your idea and they're not even going to get a proper stake in the business, etc. right? Mm. So, like, there's no point doing that. So what I often say to people is, especially, like, businessy people who want to got an idea, want to start their found, it's, okay, like, what can you do? You know, there are so many tools out there, so many technical tools out there, everything, like, UXPIN, Pop App, Squarespace Squarespace is great like you can just build really basic things on there and stuff as well like sometimes you don't need coding to just prove a concept sometimes you can just do a very simple landing page etc to prove that your concept is there or that you've got demand and if you do that then that actually you know you can then use that to persuade somebody because then if you know if I was a, a technical coder and somebody came to me and was like hey I've got this idea this is what I think and this is why I think it's great this is why I think there's a market for it I'll be like, okay, idea seems great, but you haven't proved this to me, so I don't know why I'm going to invest my time in it. But now if you come to me and you're like, hey, I've got a thousand people who have signed up to this thing and they're really keen with me build it, I'll be like, okay, you've already got a thousand potential users in your database. Mm. So I'll be more inclined to give you my time because you've already showed to me that you've already gone and done some work rather than sitting there waiting for me to come and do the work, right? And it's also a way to prove it to yourself exactly. to see what the market really wants. Like if you have an idea and it already it already exists and we have an episode on that coming up, it really doesn't matter because it, like you say, it what matters is the execution. Yeah. And what you are going to look at is also like what who's my market? You know, yeah. maybe the person or the market that you have chosen is yeah. not your ideal customer. So you need to see, are they really interested in it? And if not, what else can I build? Or if I really want to do this, who's really my market? And I think exactly. something like you suggest, you know, having a landing page, proving that you have already people that are potential customers in that sense, yeah. um, that has really much to do with research, like researching on your idea, if it really gains traction in the market. Exactly. Yeah, and I think that's it. That That's sometimes all it takes to kind of prove people and prove it to yourself, like you mentioned, and prove it to others. Do more than just, hey, I've got an idea. <laughs> mm, that's a good one. Do more than just yeah. ideas. What do you see in terms of, because I've, I've seen you writing and speaking about the concept of creativity and mm. it being so overly emphasized on some some people are creative and some not how do you see creativity in terms of someone wants to found they want to found a business they want to start you know getting into entrepreneurship starting something in tech what is your concept of, of creativity and can anyone attain it yeah so that's an interesting one so yeah this is something i kind of recently wrote wrote and spoke about as well so creativity so when i think of creativity right like again growing up and stuff for me creativity was always art graphics drawing that kind of I cannot draw at all I've never been I like art but I've never been good at it I, I was one of those people who would do abstract art because I can't draw right <laughs> so that was my way of kind of being like oh look I can do art right mm. so I always kind of associated creativity with that so for me I was never a creative because I was just like well, I don't fit into those boxes and can't draw can't make can't do any of that stuff but then as I kind of kind of went on with life, etc., I realized I've actually always been creative in terms of my process, in terms of the way I think, mm -hmm. in terms of the way I approach problems. And that for me, I think, is like, so a founder is creative because they have to be creative to do stuff, to make stuff happen. Mm -hmm. If they don't have money, they have to be creative in the way they hustle and get favors, right? 
mm. if they so that's that's why I think you know I always say creativity kind of beyond art in that sense because again like myself like I've had to hustle or you know I, I'm a bit of a I call myself a bit of a shapeshifter I can just do a lot of stuff I can make stuff happen etc it's like I'm a doer right so mm. in in able to do I have to be creative you know if um I don't have Photoshop. I use Canva, right? I'm cre- like I'm. I'm always finding yes, ways. Yes, girl, to that's stuff. my space as well. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, that that that's exactly it, right? So you're creative mm. in the way you approach things because you're like you might not have the right tools, but you'll find other tools to do it. Yeah. So that for me, I think that's something as well. Like, so people need to kind of recognize that fact as well that creativity doesn't just mean like you know technical stuff like photography, drawing, etc it can mean a whole lot more and it can be just literally about mindset I think creativity is a mindset nice creativity is a mindset you know I'll write all these things down so I can create visuals later with your quotes that's my creativity on Canva yeah (laughs) (laughs) exactly (laughs) I want to ask you because you are doing videos as well about your travels Mm -hmm. And you've been coming around quite a lot, mashallah. What would you say? Because a lot of women, I think, yeah. out there, especially Muslim women, are a bit hesitant of going out to travel, but they would love to just like be able to be independent and like work from everywhere. Do you have like mm. recommendations? What could be like the first steps mm. for women to be either do their own things online from anywhere or just remotely work and be flexible in that term? Yeah, so I think before my Pakistan trip, I mean, my fellowship, I never really traveled alone. Before it was always with family, it was either with my siblings. And even like before, like I never just felt like my parents would allow me to go on holiday. It just wasn't a thing. And then this fellowship was this one thing that I kind of managed to somehow wing it and mm. get. And my parents ended up being really proud of me. And I remember like, you know, when I kind of told my parents, I thought, you know, I'd get in trouble like I thought I'd get in trouble they'll be like no you can't do this you can't go on your own except but actually in the end they turned around and said mashallah etc mm. so one of the biggest lessons I learned from that was sometimes that the barriers that we put on ourselves come from us and not from others mm. but sometimes we might be like oh our parents might not approve oh so-and-so might not approve etc so we stop ourselves from reaching our goals mm. because we're so fearful but actually those projections are more internal that's what I felt for myself mm-hmm. comes down to gain comfort like a lot of Muslim women I've spoken to a lot of them have said you know what like anytime I've like traveled with a purpose I've always had that support mm-hmm. if I knew I was kind of doing good let that be charity work etc whatever I always kind of had that support etc and in terms of I guess working from anywhere remotely etc that's the biggest power because I think in terms of building the life that you you want to run your kind of lifestyle etc is key it really comes down to just doing it right knowing your skills and knowing how you can apply it in a remote setting and also where you want to work from so are you somebody who wants to you know go live in another country for six months and just work mm. from there you know if you have the support system to the networks in place is just go do it I remember meeting this young girl and um you know she was like to me oh you know my family this that and she's like I don't care you know when I'm older I'm just gonna go do it I don't care what my parents say etc and I had to be like to her okay first of all you don't want to your family has helped to get you to where you are today mm-hmm. what you don't want to do is lose them in the process of trying to achieve your dreams yeah. and I think western mindset te- teaches us a lot about individualization mm-hmm. where we're very very focused on my goals this my goals that and whereas I feel like Muslim culture is more about the collective right it's more about the, yeah. the, the collective and everyone together and then we're kind of stuck in the middle right because we've got 
our Muslim culture, we've got, you know, the fact that, you know, you know, heaven lies under the mother of our feet, all that side of things. Now, how do you merge those two? How do you merge those two to make sure that actually you're staying true to your Islamic duties and you're not displeasing your parents in, in, in the process of trying to achieve your goals? But at the same time, you are still achieving your goals, right? And sometimes you kind of just have to work within a remit. It's just sometimes your progress might be slightly slow and you might have to push slower. And sometimes I look back on my journey and I'm like, oh, you know, why didn't I move out for university? Why didn't I go on that trip? Why didn't I do this? And I get really angry at myself because I'm like, oh, you know, I could have achieved so much more if I didn't do did, did. And then I realized actually there was a t- that was my godmother and it was a time and place for everything. And I had to have a bit more of a late bloom in that, in that sense, you know, by the time I traveled, I was what, 20, 26, all these people had experienced all these things in life. And for me, like, I felt like I was like this late bloomer who was experiencing it at age 26. But do you know what, that worked Mm. best for me. And that worked best for my family. And that's kind of what I say to people is like, it's very hard for me to advise people unless I know their kind of personal Mm. context. So I think the first thing, I think the biggest advice I'd, I'd do is just what is your context, right? What is what are you being brought up in, and what can you do to kind of, you know, some people are very lucky. Their parents are like, go for it, etc. Then do it, like go for it completely, you know. But sometimes some parents will be hesitant, you know. They'll be they'll be hes- you know, they'll hesitate to let let their children out in the world. Okay, so how can you work with your parents to achieve your goals? How can you educate them to make them realize that actually, mom, dad, I do want to work in tech because guess what, mom and dad, you know what, that the fact that you want me to be a lawyer, that lawyer job is going to be automated and there's not going to be any lawyers in the world. How do you speak their language, right? How do you make them understand? And I think that's where conversation and communication is key. And it's something that I did as well very early on when I did my first startup is then I invited my parents to a, a pitch day. And I had my parents come watch me. I had them come see me in their element, in my element. And that, I think, one, gave them a a chance to be proud, but two, make them get it. And I think sometimes in these worlds when when we're trying to do work or tech or whatever it is we're trying to do, we kind of get lost. We get lost because we're just chasing Mm -hmm. our goals or we forget forget the people who got us to where we are today. And you kind of need to kind of meet them halfway is kind of what I often Mm -hmm. say. That's true. And I think what you've accomplished very well is to create that conversation and communication as well within our communities Mm. and what we can learn Mm. from each other and as well as um, non-Muslims that are in the industry. Could you speak a bit about how like Muslimic makers came about inclusive tech world? Like what is the why behind the ideas? Yeah, sure. So um, Muslimic Makers um, was co-founded by me and Murtaza nearly three years ago now, actually. Um, I was working at Makers Academy, the coding bootcamp at the time. I was very aware that um, a lot of the marketing I was doing was um, attracting women, which was great because obviously we needed more women in the tech world. But it was mainly white middle class women. And I was like, okay, but I'm still lacking the ethnic women, the brown women, the Muslim women, black women, etc. And Murtaza had been a UX designer for a while. And he was also like, oh, you know, like, I know there's people like you and I know there's other people I know that are working in tech. How do we create that kind of window? How do we bring everyone together? So we kind of, and this is the funny story, actually, we met off Twitter. So we'd been following each other on Twitter and he just one day sent me a message saying, hey, I've got this idea, what's your email address? Sent me his email. I was like, oh, okay. I replied back saying, oh my God, I've had this same idea for years. Mm -hmm. But I just thought it would be two people in a coffee shop. So we met up and um, where I was working at the time at Makers Academy, I had a venue space. So I was like, look, I have a venue space already. I, I, I literally met this guy recently who was this Muslim guy who's doing his own startup. He's raised a bit of funding. 
how about we just host an in conversation with him see how many people mm-hmm. turned up again prove, trying to prove our concept and let's just see what happens so we did our first event 50 people turned up and we were like oh okay we had so much positive feedback mm-hmm. and we were like oh okay we're clearly onto something because all of a sudden we had these people turn up and you know people were like oh my god we've always looked for something like this we never had something like this and then we we just became committed we just started to do events I think for the first year we tried to do an event every month and so like in our first year we probably did about nine or ten events and every month it would be slightly different and then um one of my favorite events I did because I became really good friends out of it was we hosted a because again this is this was another struggle for us right we started to do events and then we realized that we were having a lot of male muslim male representation and we were lacking the muslim women so i did one event and i had zora from halal gems and nafisa from amalia and, and, and amalia was just starting off now amalia now is mashallah such a powerhouse mm. nafisa came to our first event so that's how i originally first met her and then i obviously asked her to be on uh, one of the one of the panels we had and we did this in conversation and then off the back of that we became really good friends but I remember when I was trying to search for that event I was really struggling to find the Muslim women and I loved them dearly but I was like where are the Muslim like why can I why am I like why can I not find anyone else to also add to the panel and then I kind of got really interested in the whole Muslim women in tech angle because I was like oh you know when I type it on on Google I'd find them in America Pakistan might be deemed a conservative country but a lot of women are being educated in in engineering and coding and all these kind of stuff there so that's how I got really interested in so that that thought process is what then kind of led me to apply for the fellowship which then led to inclusivetechworld.com and going on a journey to search for role models and Muslim women role models so like for, for Islamic makers specifically it is basically about Role models is definitely so. Like in terms of our man, man, we've got a manifesto on our website that can be checked out. Community space is also, you know, creating that space that I guess you know where inclusion is part of the event. You know, we make sure that there's a prayer space. You know, there's definitely no alcohol being served at our events. Representing again, we've changed the nature of our events. In the beginning, we used to only have Muslim speakers. But as we've gone on, we've actually realized that we need to change it up a bit. So now what we do is anytime we have a panel, we make sure there is at least one Muslim speaker and everyone else can be from a completely different background. And that's OK, because I think that's just as important It's giving access to people in that community to those people mm-hmm. that they might not normally get access to. Right. Because they might not go to their events because, you know, alcohol, etc. Yeah. And then. The third, the third kind of pillar for us is education, upskilling and nurturing, being able to nurture the community, being able to upskill them through workshops or being able to expose them into kind of the world that kind of exists and stuff. So that's kind of what it is. And it's honestly, it's a labor of love. It's, you know, I've got so many ideas for it for next year. I mean, but, you know, we will do this until our day jobs. You know, so it's hard enough just doing events. And that's why I was quite excited that I've now got Taz. Taz who's working with Fahim to work on events, which will free me and Muzza up to actually be like, oh, what more can we do? Right? Because we don't have to, to, to worry about the day-to-day running of events. We can be like, oh, actually, hey, we've, I've been wanting to do this workshop series. How about we do this? Or, you know, we, we can start doing a bit more and start, like, making our impact even bigger. Mm-hmm. So I think for me, like, it kind of stemmed from a need, really. It was a personal need that we just didn't feel like we met other Muslims in the tech world. We didn't feel like, you know, they were role models and we wanted to just bring them out. And that's kind of where it all came from. That's great because it really shows, like, the development also of you proving that that the idea works, Mm. you know, testing the idea, testing the market, looking where your people are. And I think these, these technical terms 
of how do you research for your market? Mm. How do you know that someone is really interested in your idea and really, you know, gets that feedback? I love yeah. that you just did it and you just like try it out because this is kind of like the pro process that we all need to go through and we not all need to realize we all need to go through it. Like there's no way, no way around not trying it. Yeah, and one of the big things that I really enjoy about the work that you do is that it's really community-based like it's focused on the community and how how can we create spaces mm. not only in a in a form of like having the idea but having practical people to tell you things that will help you you know having networking spaces that will bring you further and you can measure that growth so what is kind of like the tip that you can give people who want to create a community? Oh, yes. Yeah. So the community is such an interesting one. So I think one is obviously like, what's the community for, right? So if, if the community is for a specific type of community, right, then you've got to make sure that, you know, the makeup of the community is is that. Two, I think it depends on what space, right? Because so, you've got virtual community. So I mean, Islamic Maker, we, we also have a Slack community in the sense where people chit chat and like, you know, we, we'll, we'll talk about things like the handshakes and how some of us don't want a handshake and how some do and it's, so we'll have really interesting discussions on that kind of platform as well mm -hmm. and then we've got a kind of our offline but I think the reason why it works is the offline event is kind of what feeds the online community offline events are important you, you can definitely start online to kind of help create that community let that be on your twitter your instagram whatever it is platform etc you're using but actually where the real magic happens is when you do the offline events because that's when people really get to connect with you We get to connect with others. That's where the impact happens. And, you know, for, for, for me personally, the things I've thrived of is when people have turned around to me and said, hey, you know, you introduced me to someone or I met somebody at your event and guess what? I went and got a job or I found my co-founder or I went to this really cool project. And you're like, oh, cool. You're like, That's oh, amazing. wow. Like, yeah. That. And the thing is, we don't get to like, like, you know, we ask for people for this stuff, but I know there's probably tons and tons of stories out there that I haven't hit me yet, mm. where people like have gone on to do stuff and people have just, I remember once I tried to do an impact survey and somebody actually wrote that they met their fiance at a Islamic Makers event. What? And I was just like, oh, I know, right? I was just like, I mean, it's typical, like expect the Muslim event to somehow, yeah. someone to end up. But you know what? It was so nice because you're like, you know what? That's two like-minded people that have come together for something even more even more greater and we were just a vessel right mm. so stories also there's people who've got the jobs or have started their startups somebody has turned around to me and said you know I never had the confidence before to go do it right like mm -hmm. I keep talking about doing it do it do it and then somebody turns around to me it's like oh actually do you know what after that event I actually went and did it mm -hmm. I actually went and did this all right and you're like wow you're just giving your what you're doing is just giving them the confidence I think mm -hmm. And I think for me, that's the key part where people are just like, okay, yeah, I'm going to go do this. Mm. I'm going to go do it. So I think in terms of building a community, one is just do it, mm. right? Right. That's like the first one. It's not stop talking about building a community. One is do it. Nurture it. I think nurturing is definitely key. There's a lot of things I look at uh, and I'm like, oh, I wish I did this better. One of those ones is, you know, I know my community, but I don't know my community. I always go on about, yeah, I've got it an 800 person strong community because that's what we do you know on our mailing list we've got a community of over 400 people on our slack however there's probably only a smaller number that are quite active on slack and i look back and i'm like okay why is that 
too because I think I didn't nurture it as well as I could have in the beginning mm-hmm. i.e like I should have been able to collect I should have been collect anytime somebody joined the community I should have been collecting who they are what they do mm. and these this stuff that I'm starting to do now a bit backwards right so when I say to people now if you're looking to start a community make sure you collect the key information who are they what do they do what skills do they bring how can they help mm-hmm you know because then you'll be able that's when the magic happens is when you can connect the dots because right now I can connect the dots sometimes when somebody's like oh do you know somebody who does this and I know them vaguely because they happen to be quite active on our slack but there might be somebody else in my community who might just be might be even better but I don't know them because I don't have their details on hand Mm -hmm. or I don't know the so what I say is make sure you build that database because that database is where the magic's going to happen if somebody was able to come to me and be like hey I need a speaker who does x y and z Again, I can probably recommend them somebody from the small number of people I know. But if I had that database, there would probably be a whole lot more people I could recommend to them. Yes. How do you? How would you do that? Like you, you said you yeah, do that. Yeah. So now. what I do is um. So there's a couple of ways we've been doing it recently. So Eventbrite is you can put extra um extra things where you can ask what their job title is. You can ask them a few questions. Nice. So when they sign up for an event, you can just easily collect their information that way. And two is um. I'm going to re-invite everybody in the community back onto Slack and be like, hey, the Slack community is now active again. And then once they join, I'm going to like, anytime somebody joins, I'll just send them like a type form or a Google form or something and be like, can you just fill in this form? Mm-hmm. Whereas I know other communities who do it another way where before you can even join the Slack community, you fill in the form. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes it even more exclusive, which works well for other communities if they're really, but I think for me right now, I just want to, I want to bring that mass of community that I already have been to events onto the online community mm-hmm. And what, but what I want to do is I want to be create that database. So, uh, you know, from the from the event price bites and stuff that I have, I just need to centralize everything. It's just basically massive data work that I need to do. I just need to centralize everything. I need to put tags on people. I need to be like, oh, they're good at marketing, mm-hmm. etc. Because again, like when you run something for not for profit, again, if you're running a community out of love, your time, your power, your money is your network, right? because I had people come to me and be like hey I can help with this hey I can help with running an event hey I can run a workshop for you Mm. they've said it to me but I've probably lost track of who they are Mm. now in the future I mean I still kind of know who they are I know in the future when I'm ready to run a workshop I know I'll go to that person first and be like hey looking to do a workshop on this would you be happy to run it and because that again like I, d- I don't have money to pay people I can just about cover like food and stuff for our events right that we get sponsored for but it's people's time that you know that's what builds the community is people have to just give their time and they have to do it because they care mm-hmm. they do it for the culture so what would you say for someone who wants to get into creating events and they have a very specific target audience maybe they want to do workshops for women who want to get into photography and you know I'm a photography expert so I want to do that and create that event uh, exclusively for Muslim women how can I advertise how can I enter that market and really get to know people that would then show up to my event so I'm not there having the venue and have like four people how do I do that yeah so that's an interesting one so um It's interesting you kind of mentioned photography as an example. So I want to talk about photography communities. This was something I became part of this year, actually, because, um, you know, I'd bought this vlogging camera for my travels, but like I didn't really know much about the features. And I thought, oh, how do I learn more about this camera that I bought? And um, through Instagram, right? So one, 
a photography community where you're mm. most likely to find the people for that community is the platform of Instagram, right? So that's where that's the platform you use to advertise. Now, photography communities, they've kind of popped up a lot recently, things like photo walks, where people mm-hmm. would just get together and they'll go on a specific photo walk around London. You know, maybe one day it'll be through Greenwich, one day it'll be there. And they'll meet each other, etc. Again, these are kind of labour of loves. People do it for free. People do it because they just want to either pose in front of the camera or they want to learn about their camera. You know, I remember like some of the nice pictures that I've got of myself. I got from the photo walks because somebody was kind enough to take a really nice picture of me that I'm now using across a lot of my professional materials and stuff. So like one is to recognize where your market sits. So if we're talking photographers, they're more likely to be on Instagram. So they're the people you want to attract or the people who are in photography. And then also just simply like, I think again, starting off with your network. So i.e. starting off with your family and your friends, you know, asking them to share it, asking them to share it on their stories, asking them to be like, hey, could you share this to people you might know, etc. And also not being scared of the fact that five only five people might turn up. Because that those five people will then turn, if they have a really good experience, focus on the experience, right? If they have a really amazing experience mm-hmm. and they really enjoy it, the next event, they're going to bring another friend. That's 10 people, right? And slowly that growth will happen. So sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves that the first time it has to be perfect. And yes, it should be perfect in the sense in terms of the service you deliver, in terms of what you try and do, in terms of like, you know, your value and in terms of what you want to get across if you if you do that right just like with our first Muslimic makers event we we got it across that we wanted to do an in-conversation style we had a bit of an open discussion about why we're doing trying to do what we did and the audience responded you know we had 50 people turn up we had people give us a lot of good feedback over twitter etc that we turned around and were like okay cool so we, we we you know people have said they there's a demand for these kind of events that gave us the confidence to go and do it again the second time around and then the third time around, and then you know the confidence the second time around was like okay the first time bringing our, our money in to like get some pizza in mm. second time around we got the confidence to approach a tech company and be like hey actually could you sponsor this and that's where the confidence stemmed from because we had already proven the concept mm-hmm. so i think that's what i would often say to people is just like Again, I know it keeps going back to it. Just do it, like as cliche as it is. Mm -hmm. But then if you focus on actually what you're trying to deliver, then through recommendations, Mm -hmm. etc., you slowly grow that community. And like, don't think, okay, first event, I need 200 people there. It's not going to happen. Focus on doing your best. Then slowly, organically, you'll grow. And then there'll be a point where all of a sudden it goes really quickly and you're just like, oh, how did that happen? I think that's really good steps, like looking at where your market sits and then start off with your own community and network, which is family, friends. One big thing is, I think, don't be scared with the fact that only five people will show up and like start to focus on the experience and perfect the terms of service, value and what you want to give and then prove the concept and basically scale from there. I think these are very actionable suggestions as well of them. I think one of the last questions I would ask you would be, uh, what skills have you learned through your work in media and especially with communities within media and what advice could you give to other Muslim women who want to increase their engagement just uh, get started with media yeah so I think media is an interesting one um, because I think it's so accessible if you want to do a podcast I mean you and I are sitting in different countries right now I'm sitting in my bed right now you know like we're able to create this podcast through the tool that you're using Likewise with videos, right? If you wanted to set up a YouTube thing, we sometimes get so caught up in the equipment. Mm. Oh, I don't have the right camera. Oh, I don't have this. I don't have that. Your phone has a decent camera. 
So again, you can create your short film, you can create your short vlog or whatever mm. it is, and then you want to edit it. You can use the free software mm. that you already have pre-installed on your laptop to edit it. Oh, I don't know how to edit. YouTube it. You can find out how to edit and you can YouTube it and put something out. So if you were like, especially in terms of media, like again, writing, if you want to write, start writing a blog, start writing on Medium, start writing about things you like, you know, and slowly and slowly, you know, again, like, I, I know I'm talking from a place of like, I, where you already have a social media presence. And I think that helps If you already have a social media presence, then it's just about creating and then your people, your followers already on social media will respond and start reading and interacting with your comment. If you don't obviously have that social media presence, then that's probably the mm. first step you need to do is build a bit of that social media presence that people start following you for you and then you then build that extra level of content etc on top how do you do that from like the ground up let's say you have zero followers oh that's such an interesting one because I think someone like me right so I've been on Twitter probably nine years mm. and Instagram since it was on Android so I've been like I've always been a social media native I was I was on Facebook before I was allowed to be on Facebook type thing right um <laughs> <laughs> so um so I've always been kind of very savvy with these kind of things always kind of the first one in now if I was somebody now trying to join these places never I think hashtags searching by hashtags searching by interest if I was to join Twitter right now how would I find people that I like I think I'll be like okay what am I interested in so I can imagine in your case you know with your podcasts and stuff like you might be like oh actually you know I'm really interested in people who are interested in diversity and inclusion so maybe you went around searching hashtags around diversity and inclusion for finding people to follow and we'll be just started to follow those people and then also collaborating right naturally like you know when you post this podcast naturally I'm going to share this on my social media mm-hmm. and there might be people that off the back of it will go and follow you mm-hmm. so I think collaborating is definitely kind of another another way as well in terms of how you can kind of amplify yourself of other people mm-hmm. what I do say is like don't be like oh hi can you please follow me like don't be a big friend do you know it doesn't work like that like don't be a big friend like seriously I think the main thing is just interacting with people mm-hmm. simply as like somebody tweeting about their lunch and being like oh what should I have for lunch today and you tweet saying oh why don't you have I don't know biryani or something like that mm-hmm. like, like sometimes just building those micro interactions mm-hmm. allow you to kind of build that kind of respect and momentum for somebody for somebody to then be like oh actually I might follow this person back mm-hmm. because I get that sometimes as well like I sometimes have people that I didn't realize were following me and then they interact with the tweet of mine and I'm like and then I go on their profile I'm like oh they seem really interesting and I follow them back but then I don't know for how long they've been following me for but it's because they interacted with me Mm -hmm. that led me to then follow them back and then gives me the chance to build their following right so I think interaction is definitely key on social media don't be a lurker you need you need to post you need to create content Mm -hmm. but also you need to interact with people because once you interact with people you comment on their pictures you like or whatever it is people will then be curious to see who you are go on your profile and then you know if they find you intriguing they will they will follow you back mm. I think that's how you'd probably go go up like in terms of building your following okay I want to ask you like a very practical question on that one because mm. uh, we hear a lot of uh, these talks and I ask a lot of women and a lot of people in tech mm. about this would you prefer in terms of content you put out quality or quantity what do you think about that balance Okay, so that's an interesting one. So again, it depends on the type of social media, right? So if we're talking Snapchat, Instagram, stories. So we're talking stories, right? Stories is a very, um, very like day to day, right? It's like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm here, I'm eating lunch or whatever, right? So mm-hmm. you can be a bit more quantity on that, right? Mm-hmm. But if I'm doing an Instagram post, I focus on the quality. For me, that's the permanent picture on my profile page that will tell a story about myself. I was actually going through my Instagram recently and I realized I've done Instagram stories, but I haven't done that many Instagram posts. 
And I was like thinking to myself, I'm like, oh, why is that? And I was thinking, one, a lot of the posts that I posted this year were from last year because, one, I haven't had time. So, you know, I was posting a lot of stuff for my fellowship at about like three months late because I wanted to write a story behind each picture. So when I was posting something about a, a really cool tech thing in Pakistan, mm-hmm. I needed time to write that little mini caption. So for me, I was focusing on the quality. So even though I, I did that post three months late, for me, I was focusing mm-hmm. on the quality because for me, it was acting like a mini blog. Whereas things like Instagram stories, Snapchat stories, etc. For me, that's just about the quantity. That's just more about mm-hmm. showing people I still exist. Yeah. Like for me, like that's where you do the quantity. That's where you mm-hmm. just do the everyday stuff. But I think when you're doing your Instagram posts and stuff, Twitter again, Twitter again is just whatever. <laughs> whatever's in your brain you put it out there yeah. whatever interesting mm-hmm. article you find you put it out there so again twitter for me is more about the the quantity like it's just again it's just it's just like it's just an e- extra yeah. part of you in a way any thought that comes to my head i put it out there and then somebody will reply and give me their thoughts and then you're having an interesting mm-hmm. engagement or discussion about something so again it really comes down to the platform you use and what you're using it for as well what i like let's say five content forms you can put out every day oh see this is an interesting one you bring up right so okay so basically when i did my fellowship right i focused so hard on creating my videos creating my website that by the time it came to promoting Mm -hmm. i didn't do it hands up i didn't do it because i was so tired (laughs) i was so tired i focused so much energy on creating my content that when it came to promoting it i was thinking about this other day i'm not even joking I have some videos I still haven't put out for my fellowship that are just sitting in my drafts because I haven't got around to writing out the titles and the captions and stuff like that. And it's been a year. Mm. This is what I I got so caught up sometimes. And I think when it comes to, I don't think I can give you like five things, but one thing I would say is when you are creating content, and that's why I think qual, uh, quality definitely over quantity, because if you do quality, you'll have more time to promote it. Whereas I think with my fellowship, I, I was so focused on these videos and I created so many videos that I just, I in a way, I, I got really caught up in quantity because for me, it was like, okay, I need a video of this thing and I need a video of that thing that I didn't get around to actually then promoting a lot of the work I do, which is a real shame. And at some point, mm. I will promote it. That's really interesting view on things. Yeah. Did you say quality over quantity because you have to more time to promote it? Yeah. It is also the question of what's the point, right? If nobody sees it. However, mm. again, my argument was, I remember I, I tweeted about this and this is why I love things like Twitter. I tweeted about this saying, oh, you know, I remember when I created my first fellowship video, I got so many views and then the second one and the third one and then I wasn't getting as many. And then somebody said to me, they said, you know what? Don't focus on the views. See this as something for yourself. See it as your art. And when yeah. I kind of changed my mindset and said, actually, this content is for me. It's not for anyone else. Mm. All of a sudden, that enjoyment of creating that content came back. Mm. So I think that's definitely another thing as well, as well is like, why do you do what you do? Sometimes we get so caught up. And I think especially in the digital world, we get so caught up in our metrics. Mm-hmm. And they're just as important. Don't lose the fun of just creating this, like yeah. just creating the content. And the intention behind what you do. Because a lot of times we... I think the intention is definitely very important. Never lose that. Intention. I think especially as Muslims as well mm. like why why do we do what we do like I'm not trying to do it because I want to be famous I want to try and spread a message or whatever like was it the same you want to share inspirational stories etc right so it's like never lose that intention always keep renewing that intention as well like I always find that as well anything I do sometimes you know let that be a public talk or etc one of the first things I always pray for be our love keep my intention pure you know even with the work I do with Muslim makers never let my ego get in front of it mm. And just keep renewing that intention to just kind of be like, I started this community because of this reason. 
let me stay yeah. on that and not get too caught up in the hype because naturally you know I, I have been fortunate in the sense that off the back of Islamic makeup I have created a network I've created friends I have made some really amazing friends off the back of it but also at the same time I'm not sh- I'm not shying away from the fact that it's also helped to build my personal brand which has really helped in terms of job opportunities, speaking opportunities, all that stuff. So that's been that's been great. Like from for me personally, that's been absolutely great. But at the same time, you know, never to get lost in that either. Mm-hmm. I think is really important. What do you think? Because I have a question about the Muslimic makers. For example, mm-hmm. right now you are running it as a uh, non-profit, and yeah. whatever comes in goes into you know running it and and the cost of it. And I think a lot of times what we get wrong is we shame people for getting into tech because of the money or Mm. for doing things creating communities because you know we want pure intentions and money is not Mm. pure and i think we have a really you know how do you say you have a we have a really screwed view on this because yeah we spend so much money on things that people build that don't have the same values as us Mm. so i personally would love to have more products Mm. and more you know events and services where I can spend my money on Mm. where I know it comes from my community and which sounds really weird but I just want to spend money on Muslims haven't make things you know I get you like I literally I prefer that do you have a vision for Muslimic makers to get into you know uh, a for-profit organization would you like to create more would you like to create products or um workshops mm. or any kind like sort of that that goes more into also making money and growing that brand because obviously money is a tool to get yeah and grow your brand as well no definitely it's a really key question that you brought up and I think it's something we've personally battled with quite a lot I think the, like the first thing as you mentioned right like one it's really good to put money back mm. in the community too like obviously making money isn't haram right like that, this is a simple fact and if anything it's about what, what we do mm. with the money right so if I had more money and I think with Muslim makers I think we are starting to do a bit more because you know we, we, we realized that we need to start saying no to things because before in the early days we'd have some tech company approach us and they'd be like hey could you like post this job opportunity for us and we'll do it because we're like oh it looks good it's good for our community but now we're like actually hold on a second there's a value in that if if I share this job post with my community there's a value for this company that they might get personal back from a different background into their company so I need to be able to put a price on that value right Mm. likewise with um you know even with that events right um we recently ticketed it and we've never ticketed it before in our life it's always been free because we we were just and again it was just so it it went into our little kitty pot so we had a bit of bit of kind of money just sometimes when we need to buy things and you know the way we went about doing that you know we 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 wrote and we wrote an open email to our community and I'm not gonna lie I was scared I was like this is our first event where we're putting money in you know we're asking and mind you it was only five pounds but when you've been doing an event for two years and they've been free and ticket sales were slow they were so slow I was so nervous thankfully alhamdulillah it was a full house it worked out it was fine again it was trusting in that actually you know by communicating openly with our community they were like actually yeah this does make sense these guys can't just keep doing this because they care like they have to kind of maintain their cost they can't just keep doing stuff and I think even with Muslim makers again like we could we, we could probably do a lot of consultancy work for tech companies yeah, exactly because there's a lot of knowledge and value in our team and in terms of access to our community you know these tech companies want access to people in our community so we should be able to charge for that because we, 
you know, we spent two, three years building that community. So should, we should be able to be like, actually, if you want to work with us, it's going to cost X, Y, and Z. We could take a bit of money in terms of just the time and effort we put in, but also we can have money to do better stuff for the community as well. Mm. So I think that's definitely something that we're kind of in the process of trying to figure out. And I think mm. as we grow, I think it's definitely something that we've, we've started to learn to be like, no, like, let's not do this thing for free. Yeah exactly you know let's not do this survey for free let's not give our brains and ideas and free consultation for free like let's stop doing that and I think just being able to recognize our value not being like oh yeah yeah we'll do it oh thank you thank you so much for working with us actually they're the ones who need to be thank you know they're the ones who need to be grateful that we're working with them not the other way around yes and I think it's a very person of color type thing as well specifically Mm. you know we're very grateful when the man wants to help you know man wants to work with us we're like oh we're finally being recognized and actually it's the other way around the power is in us yeah and we need to be able to recognize that Mm. so I have a question that's the last question uh in this okay (laughs) top mindsets to develop for success in tech and especially especially for Muslim women founders oh god that's an interesting All right, so I think one of the top ones, and I think this is regardless of anyone, is resilience, being the ability to bounce back. Because there's going to be times when it's not going to work out. There's going to be times you're going to have to give up. And I think being able to just, again, renew your intentions and being able to bounce back after your your first failure, your second Mm. failure, your third failure, whatever it is that goes wrong, right? Being able to do that, I think, is key because that's Mm. the only thing that's going to keep you going. Um, two, I would say a growth mindset, being able to just pick up things and learn stuff. As a founder, you're wearing lots of different hats. So, you know, if you don't know how to design, learn to design. If you don't know how to edit, learn to edit. You know, you've got the internet at your fingertips, you can do, be able to do it. So I think growth mindset, being able to shape shift, being able to do some other things is key. And I would say the third one is just staying really true to who you are and your values are. And I think if you stay true to why you started and what you're doing, then, you know, success might be slow, but it will be greater, you know, um, rather than trying to take a shortcut that doesn't fit with your values and then feeling really bad about it. Actually, if you stay true to your values and in terms of what you want to do, then inshallah, that success will come through, even though it might come through very much later in life. And that's why I think resilience is key, because you're going to have to keep bouncing back. Amazing. Mashallah. Thank you so much. These are great tips, to be honest. Something that we always have to keep in mind. First, resilience. Second, growth mindset. And third, straight to who you are and your values. Yeah. Oh, mashallah. Okay. What we always end up with is a question to our audience. Anything that we talked about? today anything that they could leave in the comments about their journey or what they're planning to do okay uh so my question would be why do you do what you do very good so inshallah leave your comments down below and answer our first question if you want to follow Arfa, you can do so on Twitter and Instagram or on LinkedIn over Arfa Farouk. You can also follow Muslimic Makers on all the social channels. And don't forget, the real deal is going on at sharediversity.com. Jump on the newsletter, comment below this episode and share your diversity with us. If you enjoyed this episode, like and share it with your friends and make sure to rate and review us on iTunes so we can keep creating content that is relevant to you. Until next time, Assalamu Alaikum.